Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to our podcast. My name is Daniel. My wife, Megan, and I are the location pastors here at Destiny Church, Nuremberg Region. We know that today's message will bless and encourage you because the Bible tells us that the Word of God is alive and active. If you want to connect in with us, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, follow us on social media, or visit our website at destinychurch.de. Let's get into the Word. such an honor to be here with you guys. We had a campus in the Regal Cinemas back in New York. We had to close it for COVID, but it was just awesome. I, I miss the theater. There's just a, a different vibe that's in a theater that's kind of exciting and whatnot. Um, but I am just so honored to be here today, and I'm just so thrilled to get to know the McGuire's. We have a lot of friends in common, a lot of ministry. We're from the same Liberty in the Pensacola, Alabama area, and I knew Pastor Lamb for the last five or six years, and it's just an honor to be here. For many reasons. One, uh, my father's 20 years retired Army, and so he was from California, met my mom, who was a Fräulein in Mainz. She's German. Um, and so he met her sunbathing on the Rhine River, him and his GI buddy, and they connected these two girls, and they ended up getting married. And long story short, my sister was born in Wiesbaden, one sister was born in Mainz, I mean, in um, Nuremberg, right here. Um, and for me, I always wanted to be a missionary. I actually went to college to be a missionary, and my dream was to be a single missionary to Germany. And that's kind of what I went to school for. I have a bachelor's in missiology, of all things. Um, met my husband at college, and, you know, we make our plans, but God directs our path. Um, didn't quite make it to Germany. I ended up being going to New York instead. And let me say that is a mission field all in itself. Uh, but we've been there for 33 years. We've been married for 33 and in ministry for 33. Um, and it's just an honor to really serve God's people in the Northeast of America. Um, not an easy place, but whatever. Uh, but it was interesting. Two weeks before I was preparing to come, um, Pastor Lehman asked me if I would have heard of Ansbach and Nuremberg, different places that we'd be. And I was like, Ansbach? I've heard of Ansbach. I actually was stationed there with my dad and my family in Ansbach and in Heidelberg. And about two weeks before we came, I was just kind of thinking about my life during that time and realized I accepted Jesus at five. It was in Kotterbach that I did that. And then I looked under a little strong box under the bed and there we pulled out my little certificate of baptism. And it said in 1976, when I was seven years old, I was baptized in that chapel in Connerbach. And here I am almost 50 years later, coming back to the same place where God just apprehended my heart as a young, as a young girl. Um, and I have to say, my testimony isn't one of God pulling me out of the pit or turning my back. It really is a testimony of God's keeping power. And so as parents, I encourage you, what you put into your kids are so important because that has the ability to sustain them and put them on a trajectory of their life to serve Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you with that before I get started. But I just love how God beautifully orchestrates our life. And I'm trying to hold it together over here, getting emotional. Like, God, you're just so big. To come back so full circle is just, uh, it just is amazing to me. So um, I understand you guys have been in the series a little bit, talking about the names of God. Um, and I'm excited because I actually, that was why I planned to share on is one of the names of God, Jehovah El Roy. So I was like, this is, I love it when God does that. So anyway, um, you know, I think if we're honest, every human being, um, has are searching and asking these questions and one of the questions is am i known am i known am i loved 
and am I at home? And, and am I home? And I think there's times in life when heartache and pain come into our lives and that we might feel portrayed. And if we're really honest, we're crying out to God like, do you even see me? Do you even see what's going on in my life? And, and that is really, Jehovah Elroy is really one of his names. It's the God who sees. And that's what I want to talk about today is just the God who sees. Because the names of God are so amazing to study. I've been doing a little study on them, the different ones throughout the last past year. Because as we get to know his name, as we get to know his character, we understand who he is. And the God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament, the same God present with us today. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I just want you to lean in as we just talk about Jehovah El Roy. Now, the story of him being named that, um, we find it nestled in the story of Hagar, which we find in the narrative of Abraham and Sarah. And so we're going to really find and kind of zoom in on Hagar because she was a woman who was going through a rather difficult season in her life, to say the, le- to say the least. So we're going to read Genesis 16, 1 through 15. I promise I'll read really fast. But now Sarah, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Well, Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you're responsible for this wrong that I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows I'm pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Poor Abraham, and he didn't have a chance in this story. Uh, and he says, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think. When Sarah mistreated, H- so, so then Sarah mistreated Hagar, and Hagar fled from her. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said to Hagar, slave, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel then added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to even count. And the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. His name will be Ishmael. But the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and the hand and he'll have his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So Hagar, she gave the name the Lord spoke to her, and she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. She said, "You are the God who sees me." For she said, "I now see the one who sees me." And that was near the well of Ber Lahar Roy, and it's still there today between Kadesh and Bernard. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to that son she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. 
But I just want to talk about Hagar because she was really a person, and the big idea today is just finding hope in a hard place. How we know in life we have we can come up against some hard places, and maybe you're not there today, but maybe you were there yesterday. Maybe you're there next week, and we just there's so many lessons that we can learn from Hagar, and I just want to cover five of those quickly with you today. And the first lesson from the story of Hagar is that we can remember that our God is merciful, that our God is merciful. Now, if you remember, Abraham had left Egypt with Sarah. Remember, he told Pharaoh that this is my sister, wink, wink, because he was afraid because she was so beautiful that Pharaoh would kill him and take the wife. And so, I mean, technically they were in each other's family line, so it was kind of like a half truth. But anyway, all this stuff happens to Pharaoh and he gets upset. Diseases are coming on his household and he realizes that Abraham's I'm going to say Abraham and Sarah. It's Abram and Sarai halfway through the story, but I'm just going to call them by their other their covenant names. But so he says to Abraham, "Get out of here, leave. I don't want you here anymore." And he gives them all this livestock, all these gifts to just be on their way. They give him slaves and everything else. Well, Hagar was one of these slave servants that Sarah received when they left Egypt. So she was a gift from Pharaoh to get on the road and get out of his life. You know, so that's just one thing to point out. Another thing, in the Old Testament, it was a common practice if a wife couldn't have a child that she would then give one of her slaves to her husband to bear a child. I know, for us today, that's a little creepy, to say the least. Um, But here you have a young woman who is forced into a marriage, hello, with an 85-year-old man. Yeah, I know, a little weird. Um, But since Sarah was being very impatient and waiting for God to come through on his covenant with them, um, she had control, really, of all of of Hagar, including her body, and she could do exactly what she wanted, and she did. So Hagar gets pregnant, and surprise, surprise, a little hostility between the two ladies, you know, and so Hagar starts giving Sarah the business. Um, And back then, it was almost like a a reproach or a stigma, and there was just a lot of shame if you couldn't bear children because that was like the whole culture. It was all built around family and, you know, whatnot. And so so Sarah already had a chip on her shoulder by that, and, and like Hagar just putting salt in the wound through the whole thing. So she mistreats Hagar. Hagar's on the run and realizing, you know, Hagar's biggest challenges in her life and the hard places had nothing to do about her per se, but about people in her life that had control over her. So she definitely lived a life that wasn't necessarily had that constant sense of feeling out of control. So here she is mistreated. She's pregnant, all alone, on the run, and in the wilderness, and she encounters the angel of the Lord. And she stops at this spring in the desert, and the angel of the Lord comes to her. And this is such a beautiful part of this story, because when it says the angel of the Lord, it's a Christophany. It's, it's, Christophany is when there's a pre-carnate visit of Jesus, where he would like take bodily form, and he would come down, and he would do special tasks or accomplish certain things. So here he is, leaving heaven, taking on the form of a body, and he is right there in the wilderness with Hagar, of all people. And the fact that he would just come down and leave heaven to be there for this rejected servant girl just really reveals God's love and his grace and the character of his just compassion for his people. And he promises her that she will have a son and that there'll be a great nation and that she'll have many descendants from her own bloodline. And because God saw her when no one else did, Hagar declared, you are the God who sees me, for I now see the one that sees me. 
And I think just that's a powerful part of the story of her actually naming God. Because let me point out, we're talking about an Egyptian slave girl. <laughs> we're not talking about royalty. We're not talking about anything like that. All accounts, she was a nobody. Um, and everyone around her would say God had no use for her. But you are Elroy, the God who sees me. And folks, I just think there's just something about knowing that we are seen because the same God that saw Hagar back in the Old Testament is the same God who's right here with us in this moment, who sees every single thing that we're walking through. And he is famous for his compassion. The second lesson we can learn is that we can face fears courageously as Hagar did, facing fears courageously. You know, Hagar encountered the Lord while she was running from her mistress, and she was really running away from fear, pain, her troubles. She just wanted to be free of it all. And I think it's such common for the human and human, it's so common for human nature to want to run. When you're in the middle of a situation, when you're in the middle of a circumstance, it's tough. Fight or flight, you just want to get out of there. And, and that's just so common as we see it with her. I'm sure we can look at it in our own life and, and relate to the wanting to leave that hard situation that maybe we've been up against. And I think it's so profound that the angel actually tells her to go back and submit. Go back to your problem, Sarah, and submit to her. We're thinking, just deliver her out of that, you know. But no, go back to your problem. Go back and allow God to, to move in that. And so I'm sure there's a lot that Hagar needed to work. Hagar needed to work on, including her attitude, you know, towards Sarah. Um, but I was just moved as it gives us a picture to us of how we ourselves need to deal with challenges and fears that we have, instead of running away from them. That we have to face them, knowing that God is going to be there in the middle of it. That He's going to guide us. He's going to protect us. He's going to empower us. And our breakthrough or our destiny really is just on the other side of that fear or that challenge that we have to push through to. You know, as we said before, we've been in ministry for 33 years, and when I say that, I'm just like, what in the world? How old are we now? No. I used to hear people say that. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they must be ancient. But I remember a time when um, Greg and I, we faced an extreme challenge in our church, and it was so, it was so difficult. Um, you know, how many know in churches you have pruning seasons? Well, this was a pruning season. Nobody wants a pruning season, but all good, all good trees get pruned. And it was a pruning season, and I'll never forget, we had, honestly, we were like a church of 400 at the time, and I think that, that pruning took out about 200. It was brutal, I tell you, brutal. You feel like you've been stabbed in the back. It was just, it was like all this. And I remember we were like, we are so out of it. We're Southerners in New York. So part of like, Greg's like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm like, hun, we got to get a grip. You know, so when he was strong, I was weak. When I was weak, he was strong. And we were just, at one point, we we're like, don't buy, don't hang on to me. I'm going under. You know, you just take care of you. It just like trying to get through this season. It was really difficult. Um, but I remember just at one point, just both of us in the kitchen, just kind of holding each other, literally just sobbing our eyes out. And it came to that point, like, God, we're not running. We're not leaving. You have planted us here in this foreign land. No, planted us here in New York. And this is where you've called us, no matter how hard it is and how, how difficult it gets. And I just remember knowing and trusting that, you know, that God was going to meet us in there. And so 
again, it was a pruning season and it was just like face like flint. It's almost like, you know, you're talking about catching that wave because it's breaking. And when you make the choice, it's like God's grace just comes right in and comes in behind you and gives you the grace to sustain things that you feel like, I don't think I can do that. And so I think it's just such an important lesson from Hagar that we just need to face our fears courageously because difficult times will come and to have the strength to push through. The third thing um, is for us to have faith that God is working a plan. To have faith that God is working a plan in the midst of what you're walking through. When the angel commanded Hagar to return, she did not return defenseless. She was equipped with God's promise. He promised her a son. He promised her descendants. He promised her those things. And so she returned choosing to trust God in the middle of what she was going through, that he would protect her and care for her. You know, God was so involved in every detail of Hagar's life. And when she was just thinking she's suffering in this wilderness or this desert area, it's like God was building a plan behind the scenes. And how many know we would love to pull that curtain back and see behind the scenes, but we don't at that moment. It's called faith. It's called trust and leaning in and that God was taking care of the details just as he does in my life and your life. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, El Roy sees the hard places that you and I are in or that we go through. And he wants to, us to let him walk with us through it and remind us that he has a good plan for us on the other side. Another great promise to hang on to when you're in a hard place is Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I love that verse because even what the enemy meant for evil in your life, in my life, what he meant for evil to take us down to just get us out of the game of life, God can turn those things around and just bring us to a place of freedom and wholeness and victory. So I think we have to we have to constantly remind ourselves that no matter what challenge that we're facing, that God has granted us the victory right on the other side. We just have to keep pushing through, knowing that he is molding our character and who he's making us in the inside is all part of the plan for him because he's all about the process where we would love the end destination. So the fourth lesson from Hagar is that we can find comfort in the closest of God in the closeness of God. I love the fact that Elroy came and found Hagar. She wasn't even expecting him. He sought her out. He arrived at the moment of her greatest need. At the moment when she just needed to be reassured that someone saw her, that someone cared, that God cared. Uh, a son and and he gave her that promise that she would receive a son and that she would be able to have a long uh, gen generations of people coming after her. Um, and I just want to hit the pause button for a second here with Hagar and just point out some really interesting things about her, the magnitude of that, what was going on, because there were several firsts that took place in this story with Hagar. First, Hagar was the first woman in the Bible that had a divine messenger come to her, Jesus pre-incarnate. The, the woman that ha that didn't happen in the Old Testament. So she was the first one, woman that that happened to. Um, she's also the first woman to give be given the promise of descendants. That was just given to men. It was given to Hagar. She's also the first woman to see and have a conversation with the living God. Oh, oh 
my gosh. But I was just like studying that. I'm thinking, God, you are so amazing. A slave girl that everybody thought was a nobody, but you came and left heaven and met her in that wilderness at her low moment. Hagar is also the only person in the Bible, male or female, Jew or Gentile, who named God personally. She's the only one that gave God a name, and that that name was Elroy, the God who sees me. Hagar, the lowly pagan Egyptian slave, the nobody, the invisible, had been seen by God. You know, he's the same He's the same God that is the same for us yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the same God that sees you right now. He's the same God that wants to redeem your past. He's the same God that, has, that wants to give you a hope for the future. It's that same God. And I just felt like God wanted me to remind you today as I'm here, as a dream come true in Germany, um, to remind you that he's the God who sees you. And he sees a sparrow, if a sparrow falls, how much more so his sons and daughters. And whatever you're walking through, he is the God who sees. He saw Hagar and he let her story be an illustration to us so many years later that truly that is part of his character, that he sees us. He sees us in our pain. He's working a plan and that he's with us in all of that. So no matter how big our problems seem, we can have a close relationship with a living God and we can trust that he will intervene in our life. So the first lesson, we can remember that our God is, is merciful. We can face fears courageously. We can have faith that God is working a plan. We can find comfort in his closeness. And the fifth, we can trust God to fulfill his promise. You know, years later, Sarah did, Hagar, years after Hagar returned to Sarah, Sarah once again took matters in her own hands. And even though she finally got the son that she wanted, Isaac, when Ishmael was about 13, she was kind of like, yo, Abram, she's out of here. I don't want her around anymore. You know, Ishmael was, you know, poking at um, Isaac a little bit. And there was kind of like, she's like, no, I want, I want that slave woman and I want her son out of the camp. Well, that was hard for Abram because that was his firstborn son. And he was, he was torn in that moment. And it says in the scripture that God tells Abraham to go and do what Sarah says because God would take care of the two of them in the wilderness. And so for the second time, Hagar leaves the protection of Abraham's camp and goes into the wilderness. Only this time she's not alone. She's got a 13-year-old teenage son with her. And the scripture talks about they got in a point in the wilderness when her, their water ran out and they were, they were parched and had nothing to drink. And they were both looking like they were going to perish right there in the wilderness. And Hagar puts Ishmael under a bush because she says, I can't bear to watch my own child die. And she goes off into the side and, and Ishmael's under the tree. And it says, but the, but the God who sees is also the God who hears. And for the second time, the angel of the Lord visits the invisible nobody slave girl. He comes back a second time. Oh, my gosh. I just love him. I just He's such a wonderful father the way he loves us. And we see the angel of the Lord says to Hagar in 2119, he says, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy. And the angel reiterated the promise of blessing for Ishmael. And in verse 19, he says, then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled a skin of water and gave the boy a drink. So when Hagar opened her crying eyes right there, it was like illuminated that there was a well of water for her. 
and God did it again. He intervened in her life, and he saved her and her son. And she is the mother of Abraham's first child, Ishmael. And Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations, as you all know. And his descendants are the Palestinians. And, of course, Isaac, out of him came the Jewish nation. And the Jews and the Arabs are still fighting to this day, based coming all back to this story of the animosity that was there. And so the story of Hagar really tells us that when we surrender our life to God, into God's hands, that our trials and that our triumphs serve a magnificent purpose because it's drawing us into the arms of a faithful God who loves us and really wants to be close to us. And so I just want to wrap up with two things you can be confident of because Elroy sees you. And the first one is Elroy knows you. He knows you. Elroy is the God who numbered the hairs on your head. He counts every tear we cry. He knows every detail of the situations and circumstances when we pray to him. And we're praying to a God who already knows everything about us. And sometimes he just wants us to say, like, Hagar, where are you going? He knew where she was going. He wanted her to locate where she was at. And sometimes we just have to say, God, I'm just not in a good place, and I need you. You know, so it's just being able to reach out to the, our father who's right there. You know, I think as parents, we try to be as attentive as we possibly can. But let's face it, we got to get some sleep. So there's times our eyes aren't on our children because we're sleeping or they're not with us. But we have a father who never shuts his eyes. His eyes are always on you day and night, and he's watching you and looking over you, and he knows exactly what's going on in your life. King David also knew God as Elroy when he writes in Psalms 139, you saw me before I was even born, it says. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single one of them passed. David understood that the all-seeing God <clears throat> that God was all-seeing and was noting that he not only sees what is, but he also sees what will be because he planned all of our days in advance. He fashioned every one of our days and preordained them in his book. King David also eloquently wrote about God keeping all of our tears in a bottle. And there's such a beautiful verse in Psalm 56, 8 that says, You have seen my tossing and turning through the night. How many know that we have some turning and tossing nights sometime? We can't even go to sleep because we got so much going on and we're in such a hard place. It says, You have collected all of my tears and preserved them in your bottle. You have recorded every one of them in your book. It means that God cares about every tear that we cry and he remembers the pain that's behind those tears. He sees you when you're having a blah day and when you feel numbness. He sees you right where you are in the weariness of being a mother or being a father. God sees you in your pain and your loneliness and confusion and suffering. God sees you when you feel like you've been abandoned by those that you love the most and you think that no one really even cares. He might not instantly fix every predicament or that we encounter, but we never have to doubt that we're ever alone because our God sees us and he's with us. And that brings me to my last point. Elroy is working in your situation. He's working in your situation. Uh, maybe in a, a situation might have blindsided you. It didn't blindside him. He saw it coming. He sees you and your situation, and it didn't catch him off guard in the least bit. He is all-seeing, he is all-knowing, and he knows precisely what's happening every minute of our lives. Our situation, our very life is always before his eyes. Nothing escapes his divine attention or notice. 
you know, and if they're honest, there are seasons in our life where it's easy to maybe think, God, have you forgotten me down here? You know, we, we all have those seasons. Um, and I love what Christine Kane said. I was listening to watching one of her podcasts, and she said, even in those forgotten times, God is preparing you for what he's prepared for you. God is doing a deep work in you in order to do a significant work through you. God is testing you so that you will have the spiritual strength to do what God has called you to do. And while we're on this side of, uh, of the problem and we're kicking and screaming like, God, get me out of here. I don't want to do this. I hate it. God, where are you? He's like, I got you. I'm working a bigger plan. I'm developing you. I'm developing the messenger who's going to give the message. And so we just have to be confident that God is in control and he's working in our lives. I love the, um, the verse that says, for the eyes of the Lord, these are when we feel forgotten, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's just looking, how can I strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to me? And I love Psalms 121, 3, verses 5 and 8 through 8. It says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. He's not sleeping. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day and nor the moon at night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going forevermore. As I wrap up, I just want to invite the worship team to come up as I just close out with a little illustration. You know, I can remember, I think we all have those moments when we feel forgotten in life. And I remember it was like, it was November 2019, and I was kind of in this place of just wrestling some things with God. And we were about, Greg and I were about ready to do a conference, international gathering of Apostolic Leader, blah, blah, whatever, in Dallas. And I remember leaving, and I'm like, God, I need, I need to hear from you. You know, I'm, you know what I'm up against. You know what I'm struggling with. I need to hear from you. It was like one of those like vulnerable moments. And I remember getting on the plane, getting ready to go. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to be listening for you to speak to me through the speakers. I just, I just know that you have a word for my heart because I'm in a season where I'm desperate and I need to hear. <clears throat> We're at lunch. It was one of the lunches. We'd been there like two days. And a gentleman, Greg is talking to a bunch of people. And I'm kind of half dialed in or whatever. And someone tapped me on the shoulder. It was this 20-something guy from Canada, <laughs> all places. And he kind of tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, sure. I'm like, hey, you know. So I just kind of turned, and I'm talking with him. And he said, you know, he said, I just want you to know that I feel like God's given me a word for you. I'm like, okay, you know. And he said, he said I feel like the Lord is saying that, daughter, I want you to know that you're coming into a new season coming into a new season. He said, the weight is going to come off. I'm thinking, the weight is going to come off. This is a this is the best prophetic word ever, you know. But I knew what he meant. He said, the weights are coming off. And I knew exactly what he meant. Because that's what I was bearing up underneath was the weight of some things, some striving that I had slipped into, the exhaustive state of just like, oh, God, I need to hear from you. He said, God wants you to know that he's He's desiring that father-daughter time together and that joy is coming. And then he ended the prophetic word with this, and it nearly just brought me to tears. He said, the Lord has heard your cry. And I just thought, you know what, God, there's times when we just need to know that you are real. There's times when we just need to know that our life is before your eyes. And it was for me in that season, I just had to know that he was there and he was so 
generous to give me that opportunity. And so I just want to say, as I'm trying to read through my tears here, um, that God is here and he wants you to truly know him as Jehovah Roy, the God who sees, regardless of what you're walking through, that he loves you and he's walking with you. And I just felt that God wanted me to remind you today that he is the God who sees you. He is the God who hears the cry of your heart. And he wants to assure you that he is there and he is working. And that he wants to offer peace and comfort, but not just that. He wants to offer you his presence. That we can have his presence so strong in whatever it is that we're walking through. And so I just want us just to take a few minutes and just pray as we close out. Uh, if you'll just bow your heads with me. Father God, we just thank you for all your many names, God, that we can just get a glimpse of your character and of who you are as we just learn about you and who and who you are, your attributes, God. We just thank you for your attentiveness and your willingness to reveal yourself to us as the God who sees. God, you know that whatever trial that we're facing, you see it. God, you know whatever opposition rises up against us, you see it. You know what other health crisis that we're having, God, you see it. God, you defend and you vindicate us even when we're accused falsely. God, you see it all. And Father, we thank you that we may not understand and that sometimes we're in that dark hour, but that you're the God who sees and that you're the God who's working plan. And if you're in a hard place today and you'd like me to just pray for you, I just encourage you just to kind of just put your hands in front of you just like as you're receiving it is a cup put your hands out just to receive the holy spirit's empowerment and where you're at right now and i ask today right here on june 18th on this beautiful sunday morning father i just pray for a fresh touch of your holy spirit father you know the ones who just need it father you know the ones that just need that that overflowing feeling god that you are going to work on their behalf and more than that, God, that your presence is there. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you move. I ask that you fill them to overflowing, each and every one who has their her hands cupped to receive. We thank you that you are the paraclete. You are the one that draws alongside. You're the one that empowers us. God, give us a new perspective. Father, we just pray that as we are cresting and that wave is breaking, Father, I pray that we could just get under that wave and ride it out in your grace. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is that energizing power. And I pray for each and every one who needs that this morning, God, that it's there for the taking. And so, Father, we just thank you for your goodness. And, Father, we just thank you that you are bigger and stronger than anything that we face. In Jesus' name, amen.